The topics and themes on our program are generally adult in nature and may contain explicit language. Therefore, these conversations may not be suitable for younger audiences. What does being typed out mean to you? Telling your own story. It's just really, truly being who you hey, are. Hey, this is me. This is who I am. And Labels this is my space. Categorize. So we can be identified and for that reason to be excluded. The way that we integrate people into society or do not. To literally write my name and leave my ink print in the world of stories to come. <laughs> and that's it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm here and uh, I exist. This is the Typed Out, Typed out. Typed out. Typed out Podcast. Oh my god, hi my friends. It's Tuesday and here we are. We're back. So uh, forgive me for a little bit of a pause. Uh, it was Pride Month, as you may know. So I was busy doing a lot of things. And one exciting thing is a live panel that was with ArxR and WeWork, which is today's episode. So I'm really excited to share that with you. And it is a conversation around zero hate. So we address a lot of things, taking sort of some pride elements and very serious issues in the LGBTQ plus community, and also combining it with some awareness around gun violence. So stay tuned for that. But I hope everyone had an amazing pride month and also enjoyed themselves this past weekend when World Pride kicked off here in New York City. And I know I didn't attend the Pride March, but I was definitely part of the Queer Liberation March. And that was, it was really inspiring to be part of something that really stripped back the corporate veneer and brought Pride back to its roots, which was a riot and a protest. And it was just really moving to be surrounded by 45,000 of my fellow community members and get out there and continue to trailblaze the way that you know, Marsha P and Sylvia and Storme did in their time. So, all right. Well, without further ado, here's my conversation with Joanna Hoffman of Athlete Ally, Lex Evan of Alt Pronouns, and also Justin LeCourcier and David Garten of RxR. Here we go. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Typed Out Podcast. And if you are here with us at the Helmsley Building in New York City this evening, we are going live with RxR and WeWork. If we are meeting for the first time, I am your host, Nick Polifrone. And if you are a returning listener, welcome back. So today's topic is zero hate. And we've got quite the panel of guests to help us unpack this heavy subject. Joining us is Lex Evans of Alt Pronouns, Joanna Hoffman of Athlete Ally, and RxR's own David Garten. So thank you all for being here, um, and I'm excited to have this conversation. But, bef but first, before we dive into it, please welcome Director of RxR's Digital Communications and Social Programming, Justin LeCourcier, who has been instrumental in bringing this podcast to RxR. Justin, welcome. Nick, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say thank you for including Typed Out as part of RxR Social Impact Month. Um, this is our second Pride collaboration, and I'm excited to see how we continue the conversation. But for anyone that may be wondering, do you mind giving our listeners here at the Helmsley and also at home a quick synopsis of what is happening in June as part of RxR's Social Impact Month? Nick, I would absolutely love to. So RxR um, this year decided it was going to launch the first-of-a-kind um, initiative, Social Impact Month, and we chose June um, since there's a lot going on in the month of June. So um, 
we decided that we were going to partner with various organizations, um, and we were going to host several events across all of our properties in New York City um, with a goal of driving awareness and uh, discussion, much like tonight, um, around social issues that impact the community. So um, we are working with Typed Out. Um, we put together... Um, some really cool art pop-ups um, with Wisby, a local artist out of Brooklyn, um, on you know gun safety. And we are um, partnering on a, a wave installation um, at the Sterrett Lehigh Building in West Chelsea, using a hundred thousand bottles um, to bring you know some some thought to um, oceans awareness, which is also this month. And then we're doing some really impressive pride programming. I'm I'm really really proud um, to say that RxR is in their third year of some really progressive pride programming um, in a, I guess, an industry that is seen as not being so progressive. So it's kind of cool that we are partnering with um, WeWork, Airbnb, Convene, Cushman Wakefield, and the Commercial Observer on an industry-wide um, first-ever um, panel discussion on um, LGBTQ allyship and inclusion, um, and that'll happen next week. Um, it's going to be uh, pretty swanky, but it's kind of cool that these, um, what's often seen as uh, enemies, are coming together to be more like frenemies and kind of putting their differences aside to have what they see as a, a bigger conversation. Um, and they're looking to maybe start, you know, some working groups to open up awareness and have, you know, that dialogue and offer that platform. Um, much like you do on your podcast, Nick. Oh, well, thank you. Um, and as, as you mentioned, it is Pride Month, and it's, it's such a great time to do something like social impact awareness because Pride is all about diversity and bringing, um, bringing LGBTQ plus issues to the forefront and also with it being the 50th year of Pride. So um, speaking to diversity and inclusion, which is, as you mentioned, what Typed Out is about and having that cross-communal conversation, uh, we would like to acknowledge that uh, the topics and themes that we will be discussing today should always have a diverse group at the table. And while we are excited to chat with our guests, we are also aware of the lack of gender and racial diversity present. So just fully acknowledging that. Um, and we always advocate for bringing um, true representatives to the table uh, when when discussing anything. So, um, so diving into today's topic, which again is zero hate. Uh, there's, there's just so much to unpack here. And, um, I've been doing some research about like, how has like crime and the general status of the world improved over millennia? And apparently certain things are at an all time low, but uh, interestingly enough, things like hate crimes are at an all-time high. So it feels like the general temperature is lower than we might expect, but concentrated in very specific areas. And as I was doing my research, first of all, I wanted to dive into what the definition of a hate crime is. And so according to the Department of Justice, a crime motivated by bias against race religion, disability, sexual orientation, ethnicity, gender, or gender identity. So, and sometimes this will definitely culminate in an act of violence, whether it is against property, a person, or some form of assault. And it could even also be something verbal uh, as well. And another interesting statistic is that 
The rise in hate crimes since 2016 has increased 17%. Um, and this is just a hard fact, but 49% uh, of the hate crimes that are committed are done by white folks, uh, generally white men. Uh, and they're, the, the majority is usually against a person or individuals of color. So the other thing is that we need to look into as far as statistics is that hate crimes go, that go unreported. So since 2005 to 2015, when the Department of Justice did start documenting hate crimes, uh, they found that seven to 8,000 were being reported annually. That has actually increased because it used to be about six, six and a half thousand. So we're up about 1.5 thousand. But the number of hate crimes that go unreported is 250,000 per year. 250,000 per year are going unreported for a variety of reasons, whether it is a lack of trust uh, with the, the judicial, uh, well, with police enforcement, law enforcement, or um, people not feeling safe, or whether or not they will feel as if they're being believed. So uh, that is also a hard pill to swallow. And another thing that I do want to address before we bring on our wonderful guests uh, to help me dive into this stuff a little bit further is that there is the Equality Act, which is coming up to the Senate floor. And what is the Equality Act? And that is a bill that would basically uh, say that you cannot discriminate against someone for those reasons, which would be... Uh, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, race, um, it would basically lower the barrier of saying that your religious affiliations, therefore, uh, would not allow you to serve someone of one of those facets. So it's, it's an interesting time. This is, a back, again, coming back to like seeing how Statistics worldwide are lower, but yet they're spiking in very certain areas. So are we, we have this bill that is ready on the Senate floor to do something incredible. Uh, it would help us jump over a lot of hurdles that we're seeing right now in, in current administration. But yet at the same point in time, can we pass it through? And will it have the potential to make these acts of hate even stronger. So at this time, let's bring on our guests, and I'm going to intro everyone, and then if you could please tell us about you, about your affiliations, um, and also the companies that you are representing. So first up, I have Lex Evan of Alt Pronouns, and I have David Garten of RxR, and Joanna Hoffman of Athlete Ally, and again joining us is Justin LaCourse here of RxR. So round of applause. So Lex, please tell me about you and alt pronouns. Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you to uh, thanks to you and to RxR for having me tonight. Um, alt pronouns is a human identity brand that I founded a few months ago and launched. It celebrates queer history and champions queer identity. It originated from my discovery in queer history, something that I wasn't taught in high school or grammar school or didn't discover until my mid-20s. Hmm. Once I did, it, it reshaped my mentality and approach to the queer community and queer culture, um, realizing that drag queens and 
street people and leather people were the ones who instigated Stonewall and started this movement and gave me the right to come out at 14 and live my life openly for so long. Um, as I turned 30 last year, I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to find a way to make the future even better for the next generation of queer youth. Um, while my youth was great and I was out and open, there's still a lot of trauma that I experienced mm. that I think can be avoided for um, future generations. Absolutely. Thank you. And David. Hi, I'm David Gordon. I'm a senior vice president with RxR. Um, I uh, grew up in Orlando, Florida. My roots are in West Virginia. And I would say that my growing up was very different from a lot of the experiences of a lot of the people in this room and a lot of the people that you have on your podcast. Um, but that's what I find unique about the podcast in general and of being able to 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 represent and to speak to the different experiences and also engender empathy and establish a connection. Um, so one of the things about RxR Realty is we like to, what we take great pride in is building communities and building strong communities. And strong communities not only are, are it, it's free from hate, um, and hate doesn't belong because you cannot have a strong community if, if, if you have members of that community that feel that they are... Um, being singled out or being treated unfairly, but also making sure that we keep hate out. Hmm. So one of the reasons why I want to do this podcast, why RxR wanted to be a part of this podcast, is because uh, it is something that we believe quite strongly in. Yeah. It's something that the chairman and CEO um, believes quite strongly in, and the importance of speaking up. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Joanna. Hi, I'm Joanna Hoffman. I'm senior manager of communications at Athlete Ally. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so Athlete Ally is a nonprofit based here in New York City, and we work to end homophobia and transphobia in sport through education, policy, and athlete activism. We also mobilize professional Olympic and Paralympic athletes to use their platforms to speak out about LGBTQ rights, both in sports and in society as a whole. Uh, I'm also a runner with Front Runners New York and a poet, so I can say that you know, running and storytelling have both saved my life in many ways, and I feel grateful to work in a space where I can touch both of those. Thank you. And Justin, you gave us a beautiful description of Social Awareness Month, but please tell us about you and your work at RxR. Sure. So um, as you said earlier, Nick, I'm the director of digital communication and social programming at RxR. My name is Justin LaCourcier. Um, I've been with RxR since 2014. Um, and at RxR, I like to describe my job as sort of being split into two. It's half very um, structured, if you, if you will. I get to do um, a lot of our website content development. I get to work with our, our C-suite and all of our department heads on a lot of our strategy, and that sort of overlaps with some of our social media and graphic design, and then that sort of gets into the other half of my job, which is, I say, really fun and exciting. It's what makes, um, uh, I guess, what I do sort of sexy. I get to do all of our social programming, so I oversee a lot of our tenant relations, um, a lot of our events, some of our um, community development that David was, uh, you know, touching upon, um, and some of our philanthropic charity work. So. Cool. I get to weave in and out of a lot of sections of RxR, which 
which is great, and it's really fun. So I, I can say that I, I enjoy going to work. Yes, good. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you, and thank you again for this opportunity. Thank you. So this is a great time to, uh, as you all heard during our podcast intro, to ask my favorite question, and we're going to start with you, Miss Joanna. What does being typed out mean to you? To me, being typed out means making sure that I'm the narrator of my own story. And uh, just to say on that, I think that during Pride Month and throughout the year, it's important to remember that the LGBTQ community is not not a monolith, um, that we all have very different stories to tell. And that being said, um, you know, we spoke earlier about the fact that there is not a lot of diversity on this panel, and just I think it's important to mention that and to proactively make sure that we're including people of color in these conversations as much as we can be. Yeah. Thank you. Justin. So having listened to a number of, of your podcasts, um, the way that I, I look at typed out and what typed out means, um, I think it means um, being unapologetically yourself. Um, I think it's accepting vulnerability, um, and it's doing what makes you happy, um, even if others may not fully understand. Um, recently, um, I think it was Brene Brown, um, her TED Talk sort of like blew up. I think she's like the third or fourth most watched TED Talk now. Um, and talks about um, fitting in is uh, the opposite of belonging. Um, and I think that that really lines up with how I see um, the definition of, of what typed out means. Yes, I love Brene Brown, by the way. Um, Lex. Uh, typed out to me is all about clarity. I often get lost in the ambiguity of words in my mind. Um, so typing what I think out and confirming that those words are how I feel kind of help me validate my emotions and my feelings. Hmm. Thank you. David? Um, so I'm going to quote a movie. Okay. Um, the quote I'm going to use is, uh, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he doesn't exist. And I say that from the context of this is a podcast on hate. And unfortunately, we have a number of um, individuals that don't believe in hate. Hmm. They don't believe hate exists. And as you laid out in your stats um, quite clearly, hate is definitely on the rise. And empathy is on the decline. Hmm. And so recognizing hate, ideally you would have that from the highest leadership of the land, but it's fallen short. Mm-hmm. And the typed out podcast to me is an opportunity for one, it's, it's, it's expression, particularly for those uh, members of marginalized communities to be able to, as, as, as Joanna said, to take agency of their own narrative mm-hmm. and to tell their own story loudly and proudly. It's connecting with individuals, a lot of listeners here that may not be from New York City, may not have uh, an experience or, or an environment that they feel that they can be themselves and they listen to this podcast and they are empowered um, to take whatever action they can take. And then lastly, it's, it's, it's opportunity to, to expand to an audience that, as I mentioned before, my we, Lex and Joanna and I were talking before the podcast of sort of our experience growing up, very different from my own. Mm-hmm. It gives an opportunity to, to hear from other groups and other, other members of, uh, of, of different groups of what an experience is like. Because one of the things about hate, um, unfortunately, is those that traffic in hate tend to um, dehumanize mm-hmm. people. And they fail to recognize their humanity. 
and you have a podcast like this that does provide the forum um, that I think can do go a long way in actually combating hate. Absolutely. Thank you. You've just reminded me of this excellent, I need to Google it really quickly. It is an excellent Netflix um, documentary of a Muslim woman who goes around and she, uh, well, first of all, she was receiving several tweets, uh, hateful tweets against herself um, and her community. And she was like, how do I stand up in the face of this? You know, how do I, how do I directly address and disarm this hate? And she made a mission to actually find the people who were sending her these tweets and sit down with them in person mm-hmm. and directly face-to-face address the hate that they were delivering over the internet. And she would often use the, the terms that, the very hateful terms um, and slander that people were using against her when referring to herself. And she found that more often than not, they would be like, why are you referring to yourself that way? You know, and coming to your to your point of like people who who basically vest themselves in hate and, and dehumanize, right? Mm-hmm. And especially now with with everything being so technological and 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 technology being at our fingertips, it's so much easier to act um, without any real regard for your actions because you're removing the human quality. And what she found is that being person to person, that she was able to get more empathy and actually change minds than um, as if, like, brushing past it or just saying that it exists. So I feel like this is... I will find out what exactly that uh, doc is, but it's... It's a a good one. I I know which one you're talking about. I don't don't know the name. Yeah. Just just on on that note... What I've, what I've found is the importance of these stories, whether it's Lex's story or Joanna's story, Justin's story, is anybody's story in this room, not only taking you know, ownership of that narrative, um, continually to tell it that you are here from the standpoint that I am sure it can be quite exhausting um, to have to tell that narrative over, over and over and over, to tell individuals, particularly if they are looking at you differently, mm-hmm. that um, your humanity deserves to be recognized. Um, but I say this from the standpoint that there are, as you mentioned, from those that are, that are perpetrators of hate and often are young men that are of a demographic of, of, of my own, they they have the ability in many ways there's there's obviously a a claustrophobia in the construct that they're operating in that kind of confines them to a certain element but as you tell your stories hopefully that begins to resonate Mm -hmm. um, because you you mentioned the documentary and then the ability to start to have uh, empathy Um, because what they do if they don't get that, which is unfortunate, is sometimes they turn to the hands of individuals that will take advantage of that that anger and that um, being disaffected with the world in which you have individuals will prey on those types of people and yeah. trying to recruit them in those type of type of uh, that that hate filled type of dogma. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I think more often than not, hate when it's directly confronted will be diffused. Absolutely. Um, so, 
but also do that safely. Like not everyone Absolutely. is in the safe position to stand up against hate. And so I think let's, let's open this conversation. Let's crack this egg wide open. Um, and I would love to hear from Joanna and Lex about how your companies, uh, perhaps some tasks, some tactics with athlete ally, how you approach hate, or at least, um, go in with broadening people's uh, mindset as how to be more inclusive and then Lex also through retail and what you do. Before we hear from them, I do want to remind our live studio audience that we are going to have a Q&A session. Yes. And um, we do have some audience members that have, you know, some paper and some pens. So if you guys would like to write down some questions throughout our, our podcast here, we'll, you know, take some of those questions at the end and be able um, to more efficiently answer them. Thank you. And Joanna. So I think, you know, when we're talking about disarming hate, uh, we first need to be able to recognize hate, which is not always easy to do because it often doesn't present itself overtly. It's often, like you said, a result of myths and misinformation and stigma and lack of awareness. And from that, we see these patterns of micro and macro aggressions that really are a societal problem. So I think disarming hate is about really, you know, dismantling sometimes a whole system mm -hmm. or a whole society or, you know, a whole way of, of thinking about the world. Um, and so one way that we tackle that at Athlete Ally is through education. Um, so often, as I'm sure many of you know, the people who most need to be reached with information about LGBTQ inclusion are reached the least. Hmm. And so we try to address that in a lot of different ways um, to make LGBTQ inclusion trainings accessible to as many people as possible. We train professional athletes. So we've worked with every incoming NBA player in the past five years. Uh, we work with Major League Baseball staff, uh, athletic staff, teams, leagues, student athletes on LGBTQ respect and inclusion in, in sports, um, and also on allyship, uh, which I think is really important because I think it can't always be on the effective, on the affected population to have to do all the work mm -hmm. of combating oppression. Um, and just to speak for myself, you know, as a queer woman, um, it's important for me to know that my straight friends and family will speak up if they hear someone making a homophobic joke or statement, even if I'm not in the room. Because um, I think it's really important that we extend our empathy beyond what affects us directly and be willing to stand in support of the people we care about. Um, so that allyship part is really critical. We also equip athletes and administrators with tools on how to create inclusive policies. So we provide them with model policies on uh, including trans and non-binary athletes, for example. We uh, work with them to implement those policies, making sure that they have gender-neutral bathrooms, changing facilities for athletes, uh, making sure that they're really taking proactive steps um, within teams to make sure that all athletes feel safe and welcome and included. So that's making sure that there's fan codes of conduct that specifically prohibit homophobic and transphobic behavior, um, that there's zero tolerance policies for abuse and harassment, um, and so that we're not just kind of waiting for something bad to happen, but we're being proactive about setting an environment in place where, uh, where inclusion is hopefully the first thing we're thinking about. Uh, and then 
kind of the last piece of the work that we do to hopefully disarm hate is um, our athlete activism work, our ambassador program. So I mentioned that we work with professional Olympic and Paralympic athletes. And you know, the reason we call them ambassadors is because so often these athletes are conduits. Um, they can reach people in ways that many of us can't. Um, you know, there was uh, recently a book that came out. Uh, it's called Listen, We Need to Talk by Brian Harrison and Melissa Michelson. And in the book, they talk about what they call the theory of dissonant identity priming. And it's about how to change people's attitudes on controversial topics. Mm -hmm. And they found that when a professional athlete speaks out and says, I support marriage equality, uh, that athlete's fans are more likely to be supportive of that issue as well. And uh, it really makes a difference. And so I think, um, you know, so we've seen these athletes just have such a profound effect. Um, for example, we recently worked with uh, NBA player Reggie Bullock, who has been incredibly supportive around trans rights, trans inclusion. Um, there was recently a bill pending in South Dakota that would have prohibited trans youth from being able to play sports according to their gender identity. And we worked with Reggie to put out a statement um, that he put out on his social media in support of trans youth. And we saw tremendous traction and support around that. The bill ended up being effectively neutralized. And so I think, you know, it's really important that we, that we really are helping these athletes use their platforms to speak out about what matters to them. Absolutely, thank you. And I, just to your point, Joanna, about like how it shouldn't always be on the affected demographic. Like a, a true good, great ally is the person that can help defuse a situation and not put that person on the spot to have to defend themselves. And I feel like, especially when we're talking about hate, um, it's things like microaggressions that can lead to more violent or um, excessive behavior, as it were. Because if we can check these things as they happen along the way and, and bring somebody into an inclusive conversation, hopefully we can reach them sooner before something drastic is likely to happen. Um, and so allies can play a huge role in that. Uh, so thank you for, for bringing that up. Lex. So there's a few um, items that Joanna mentioned that I'd like to kind of address. Uh, one, it's recognizing hate. Two, deconstructing systems that allow that hate to manifest. And three, um, allyship. I think when we talk about allyship, it's easy to assume that we're only talking about heteronormative culture allies. But I consider myself an ally as a queer man to the rest of the queer community. Um, all pronouns as a human identity brand. One of our platforms is apparel, gender-free, judgment-free. Mm -hmm. My career before this, um, I've spent 10 years as a graphic designer. I've learned how to communicate messages visually. So with the designs that I create for alt pronouns, I approach the collections in a way that I can disarm the hate before it happens, in a way that I can deconstruct these systems of identity that allow people to hate others because they're not like themselves. Mm. Um, part of our first collection, their shirts uh, with messages like trans is beautiful, protect trans kids, shatter gender, um, all these subliminal messages that I don't have to open my voice or use my voice 
to communicate, but by standing in a subway train with 40 other people and just making this statement to the world, um, I think with enough visibility, enough people wearing messages like this, you can get into the minds of people who may not have considered that before and disarm the hate before it happens. Yeah. And with that in mind, also picking, piggybacking off of what Joanna said about like if we're able to get influential figures wearing those messages in their clothing and sending that message to youth and surrounding community, that in itself is sending that subliminal messaging. It's sending out the signal of saying to be more inclusive without necessarily overly promoting it, you know? And using self-expression through clothing is a great way to just sort of like show up without necessarily having to have that conversation, which to your point, David, from earlier is like, it can be exhausting continually telling somebody your story in order to generate empathy. So if you can use something like your self-expression, the way that you show up in the world, the way that you meet the world every day, that too can be a way of saying, oh, hey, this might be a friend of a friend or somebody that I know dearly that like, you know, just through the way that they use appearance can be a way of broadening acceptance. Yep. And a lot of the messaging, when I think of the copywriting, it's less about communicating your own identity. Um, there's a little bit of ambiguity in the message. One of our signature shirts is love my identity. And I often get asked, are you telling me or are you asking me? Yeah. Um, and I love messaging like that, that, that just makes people think it provokes new ideas. Yeah. And it's also like, as with anything, it's, always, it's better when you interpret it the way that you want to interpret it. You know, like one of the things that I firmly stand by is that you don't have to justify yourself to anybody else, especially if you're not harming anybody. And so like if you're wearing it because it is an empowering act for you to wear that expression on your shirt and then somebody feels the need to question what it might be for, it at least puts them in the, the mindset of asking the question and then having to either provide the answer for themselves or it opens a great dialogue. So um, Something else that it also does. So part of our mission <laughs> is to create safe spaces, both digital and physical. Mm -hmm. And I feel that when I wear a shirt that says trans is beautiful, it's offering my allyship to someone on the train who may not feel safe, mm. who may not feel that someone there would stand up for them if a situation were to arise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an, another form of allyship is, again, showing up and not even necessarily having to... I, I remember when... Um, I think it was shortly after the first, like, ban, the travel ban, there was the safety pins that people were wearing exactly. on their shirts. So, and it was just sort of like a, without necessarily having to say anything to open that conversation, just by doing something like wearing a sticker, wearing a safety pin, is setting that signal or sending that message of saying that I advocate for you. Yeah, that you know? I will stand up for you if something were to happen. Yeah. So um, here's another question for the panel. Um, what do you think more often than not stands in the way of somebody standing up to hate for anyone? Um, so trying to put my, my, myself in somebody else's shoes, obviously it's, it's fear. Mm -hmm. um, not going to lie, as, as I was thinking about what I was going to say on this podcast, um, those that traffic and hate are pretty um, awful. There are individuals with their own um, podcasts 
their own audience, uh, large Twitter following, mm -hmm. and who wants to be anywhere near any of that? Um, but as 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 a demographic that uh, typically does not bear the brunt of hatred, um, that discomfort is minimal compared to the people that really do receive the brunt of that. And by no means is this me patting on my back of how strong I am of coming in, but it's it's scary hmm. to step up to hate. It's 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 one of those things where. You want to be able to live your life free of judgment, be who you are. And if you have individuals that whatever action they take object to that and dehumanize you, that's, that's, that's really difficult. And I'm not saying anything that, that, that people in this panel and probably people in this room don't identify with and probably have a much better grasp and understanding than I do. Mm -hmm. um, so that to me is, is, is one of the things I feel like there's a, a moral obligation. Um, I often look to, uh, I often look to, um, Dr. Martin Luther King on many of his, uh, many of his books and he's got a, he's got a quote. He's got two quotes. I'm going to say one says whites, it must, it must be frankly said are not putting in a similar mass effort to reeducate re themselves out of their racial ignorance. That is very different from uh, many of the quotes that are passed around on Martin Luther King Day. Um, and then uh, the other thing that he talks about is um, he uses the word Negroes. He said Negroes hold one key to the double lock of peaceful change. The other is in the hands of the white community. Mm -hmm. And that was written in his very last book. Um, and it's 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 incumbent upon all of us in the room, particularly those we we need to take a an active step, not only in being an ally, but trying to act in, in in working towards fighting against hatred in a way that I have a position to do so that other people do not. Yeah. And to that, to speak to that, one thing that recently came up in in a, one of the podcast episodes. Uh, on Typed Out, with my friend Ms. Chartreuse, is speaking to oneness and how, like, when one thing happens to one person, it happens to us all. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you are, like, directly physically affected by it, something actually happens in the collective. Like, and if you choose to either act or not react to something, that, too, also resonates Absolutely. across everyone. And so it's like, um, I know one thing that's very important to you is gun violence. Mm -hmm. And so, like, as we see uh, someone wielding a gun, and, I mean, just this month alone, June 12th, is the third uh, anniversary of the Pulse shooting in mm -hmm. Orlando, um, in which we lost 49 of our community members. And so, like, when we see things like that that continue to happen, and, you know, it's like... Waiting for legislation to do something, waiting for administration to do something, and then you see the the public or the lay people, as it were, that aren't necessarily within you know power to to affect change on the legal level. It's like where desensitivity comes in, mm -hmm. you know. And so, when great acts of hate happen, whether they happen on the subway, right? 
as we live here in New York City, or you know, they happen somewhere else across the world. It's how we react to it that makes a difference. So if we decide that we're gonna, you know, disregard that news story because so much of that has happened lately, and I can't believe, you know, another thing is happening, and you begin to desensitize and remove yourself from the conversation, it is also an effect to what happens. Mm -hmm. So it's staying present, as you said, it's responding. It's it's saying that like, when these things happen, I'm taking an active stance to create change. So um, I would love to jump into if you happen to have any statistics or maybe like even one thing that comes to mind is like with Australia and New Zealand um, and the attack that happened, well, specifically in New Zealand on, on the mosques there, like they immediately reformed their gun laws. Mm -hmm. And why is it taking the U.S. so long? You know, when we've had things like Pulse, when we've had things like Sandy Hook, when we've had things like Las Vegas. And I mean, you know, Another thing, if you happen to follow Janet Mock, which I strongly re recommend doing so, also called out the fact that there were five trans women of color that were murdered in Pride Month alone this year. So, like, and most of it from gun violence mm -hmm. or physical violence. Just curious, and not to, like, put you on the spot, but, like, <laughs> I know that this is something that's very important to you, but if you happen to have any insight um, about, like, why why it's taking us so long to do something. Right. Um, so gun violence and, and the fight against gun violence is, is, a, is a priority and a big issue for me personally. It's also a, a priority issue for um, the chairman and CEO uh, of RxR, Scott Reckler, who's been um, very out in front in, in pushing for uh, just very simple, common sense uh, gun safety measures. One of the things, um, again, those that traffic and hate, one of their primary tools is a gun. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's used to intimidate. It's used to stoke fear. Um, it's, uh, and it's also used to control, particularly mm -hmm. in domestic violence relationships where women um, are, are five times more likely to be killed in a domestic violence relationship if a gun is present. Um, 21 more times likely to be killed um, compared to other countries uh, around the world. So gun violence is a huge problem that is very much unique to the United States. Uh, you mentioned uh, New Zealand and that horrific act, um, which I just want to point out, there's, there's the hate-filled crimes. You mentioned, you mentioned Pulse, um, mm -hmm. which I, uh, I, I've, I've, I drive past every time I go down and see family and friends. Um, that was three years ago, the, the mass shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, at the AIM Church, um, where uh, nine, uh, nine people were taken by um, a white supremacist. Mm -hmm. uh, that anniversary was yesterday. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Sandy Hook. You mentioned Las Vegas. Um, the list goes on and on and on and on. Uh, the majority of people agree with us. I hope everybody in this room that there needs to be something when it comes to guns. Um, you have a political process, though, um, and those those that hold on to their um, what they refer to as their Second Amendment rights, which I would I would disagree with them on, but those that are so ferociously uh, anti any action when it comes to gun violence. They are far more active 
and coming out and pressuring their elected officials. And, the, and, and let me give you a point, um, an, an example. So this year, the House of Representatives passed what is a very, very basic bill, mm-hmm. which basically you should, when you go to purchase a gun, if I go to purchase a gun, somebody should run a background check on me. They should make sure that I haven't committed a crime, they don't have a severe mental illness, I have no uh, drug and alcohol issue, all those things that are very, very basic. Um, if you're a licensed guns, deal- guns dealer, that background check is performed. What happened with Dylan Roof, who shot in the, uh, the, the nine uh, people in um, South Carolina, he should have been flagged for background check. Mm-hmm. Um, it lasted longer than three days. The FBI couldn't do the check fast enough, and he was able to get the gun. He was able to use it um, to slaughter nine people. But that very basic piece of legislation, because there are loopholes. You can go to unlicensed gun dealers and to buy a gun, any gun, and sort of bypass this background check. It's like going to an airport and saying, all right, I've got this TSA line that I have to go through where I'm going to be screened, or I can just walk on the plane over here. Um, makes no sense. But there's something about guns that's very much, um, it, is, is, it is a unique American, um, I don't know if it's a quality, but there is something about guns where it's very difficult to make progress mm-hmm. from a national level. On the state level, here in New York, we have some of the strongest gun laws in the country. Um, in other states, you have some of the strongest gun laws in the country. In other states, you have very weak gun laws, which is, again, necessitates why you need to have some sort of federal action, some federal leadership. I will say this. Um, I mentioned that Scott Reckler is, is, is very focused on this issue. He signed a letter along with three other CEOs. It was difficult for us to get others because you have CEOs of businesses that are a little difficult to... Uh, to convince them to come on here. But when he signed that letter, yes, we got a lot of kudos. We had a lot of people that traffic in a subject that we're talking about right now um, start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And it's a very intimidating, uh, scary thing to be able to speak out on that. New Zealand, it's a, it's a country of 3.4 million people. We have a country of 325 million people. We have more guns per capita than any other country in the world, 88 um, uh, per uh, 100 people. So nearly every single person in the country can have a gun. It just so happens that the majority of those that own a gun, that actually have a lot of the guns, it's in a small percentage of the population. It's, it's a long-winded answer that I'm getting. We're making progress from a state level, which is great. Um, but if you think about sort of uh, the movement on marriage equality, mm-hmm. it came from going state by state by state by state. It goes from talking to individual people. It goes from getting out the vote of having those. You had nine Republican governors this past year sign gun safety legislation. So it is possible. There is bipartisan types of solution. Lindsey Graham uh, who is a Republican senator from South Carolina, sponsored a piece of legislation that is essentially a red flag bill, which could have prevented a mass shooting that took place in Sandy Hook. So it requires um, a lot of organizing, a lot of people speaking up. Uh, we're going to continue to do so, um, but we're not there yet. Yeah. It, you, you mentioned New Zealand. They turned on dime. Again, 
they have one legislature, yeah, which is great. But we don't have that here. We have the House and the Senate. You mentioned the Equality Act. Um, the I, I, I don't know if, if you want to get into a, something that is that is so fundamentally basic that people stating who they are should be treated equally seems like um, it's something that uh, in many ways is it is written in the Constitution to some degree, although when it was written at the time, they only focused on uh, a certain subset of, uh, of, of the population at the time, but it is, it is fundamental to who the United States of America is. Um, but again, it's one of those things where as something as simple and as basic and it seems as straightforward, we should move forward, it doesn't happen without organizing. Yeah. Nick, if I could say something, I think uh, it might seem kind of weird that we're talking about gun violence and LGBTQ um, and gender identity all in, in one conversation. But what I'm hearing a- across the board here is uh, fear, um, lack of education, lack of understanding, discomfort, um, the worry of repercussions. And I think that's maybe why it's so hard in the United States to get certain legislature passed, why people um, find it challenging to be an ally on all different levels. Um, just listening to our guests tonight, you know, sort of talk about their, you know, experiences and where they're coming from and what their line of work is in, I think that it, it sort of comes together in an odd way. So I'm kind of happy we're having this conversation. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. But one thing... I mean, yes, like it's, hate has many faces, right? So it's like, it may just be a casual slur on the street. It could be the way that, you know, someone is physically assaulted or it could be actual gun violence. Um, And so as a collective, addressing the many ways in which we can hopefully begin to shift that. Uh, But on a more softer level, Joanna, I have, I guess softer, but less extreme level, uh, there's something that I would love to talk with you about and especially about Athlete Ally. Um, trans athletes in, in the sports space, do, are you aware of any measures that are being taken to be more inclusive in that regard? Because I know that there's a lot of conversation about it. I mean, that's, that's a huge focus of, of our work and uh, something that we've been working with Um, athletic departments at colleges and universities across the country to try to address. Um, Last year, we launched what we call the Athletic Equality Index, which ranks NCAA Power 5 schools in terms of how inclusive they are for LGBTQ athletes and students. And we found that by making schools aware of the policies and the resources that they either do or don't have, we were able to quadruple the number of schools with trans-inclusive policies, um, which is heartening. It shows that folks are, are you know, willing to do the work um, oftentimes um, when they're given the support and the resources to do that. Um, we also have worked with uh, some teams and leagues around trans-inclusion. Um, I want to give a shout out to Dis New York, which is uh, Ultimate Frisbee League here in New York City that recently did some really great work. We worked in collaboration with them to develop trans and non-binary inclusive policies, so that was great to see. Um, The Women's Football Alliance has also done a great job of being inclusive. 
Um, but I mean, sadly, we have a long way to go. I think, you know, there's been a lot of really disturbing transphobic backlash in the media. Um, and I think what we really need and what we're not seeing enough of it are cisgender um, allies speaking out in support of trans people and their right to participate in the sports that they love. Um, and I think it's something that, yeah, we, we desperately, desperately need. So I hope that we see more of that. Yeah, and thank you for Athlete, athlete Ally being a proponent of that, you know, for stepping into the space and starting to change the dialogue. Joanna, so. uh, has Athlete Ally reached out to, I've uh, worked with uh, Castor um, Semenya um, after not being told um, she can sort of, I guess, run in women's races? Yeah, so we, we've been pretty involved with Castor Semenya's case. Um, so when the IAAF first announced the policy affecting yes. affecting Castor, we worked uh, in collaboration with the Women's Sports Foundation. We were reached out to athletes across our network to have them sign on to an open letter, um, basically in support of Castor and in support of athletes like her and their right to compete. Um, we have had a lot of back and forth with the IAAF. Um, and as you will probably know, uh, Castor uh, lost her case with the Court of Arbitration for Sport, is appealing it, so we will see what happens. Um, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, the case of, of Castor is, is, a really, um, is a really important example of the ways in which, you know, these really rigid definitions that we have around what a woman is supposed to look like or what a man is supposed to look like, what an athlete is supposed to look like, and how, how those rigid assumptions and definitions really um, police people's bodies and their humanity and uh, in a way that we really uh, need to be addressing in order to be as inclusive as possible. Yeah, thank you. Um, Lex, question for you, which comes back to your intro and you talking about like wanting to... Um, basically send the message through like what your predecessors have done for you, especially speaking to pride and 50 years of pride and how acknowledging the folks um, who have brought us this far, you know, uh, our trans women of color and the drag queens and the people out there and remembering that pride, the first pride was a riot and it was their struggles and triumphs that brought us to where we are and you wanting to pass on that torch. Um, is there anything that, that you are aware of, especially perhaps um, through the messaging of, of all pronouns, uh, some everyday occurrences that the LGBTQ plus community may come up against? Um, and how can allies or, you know, whether they're in community allies or out, out of the community allies play a role in preventing that? So I can share the experiences of some of my friends as well as my own. Um, recently, about a week ago, I have a friend who lives in Chelsea who walked out his front door and had a group of teenagers pull a knife on him because of the clothing he was wearing and the makeup that was on his face. I have a friend who happens to be trans who posted on her story that just by being trans, she's automatically patted down when she walks through airport security. Mm -hmm. I have friends who live in the outer boroughs who are happy to come into the 
into Manhattan to go to events, um, perform as drag queens, but have to live with fear when they go back home that they may be attacked on or off the train walking home in those outer boroughs. I think we, we can become disillusioned, disillusioned thinking that New York is safe because it's so urban and so exposed to so many different identities, but it's still not safe mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, I mean, I've been wearing floral shirts lately, and <laughs> I've been, I had a remark on the street, which is the most absurd thing I can think of, that a floral shirt on a man is going to yield a remark from someone on the street in Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've had it with my hair, which is, <laughs> for anybody that can't see, is, I don't know, some mix between silver and gold at the moment. But um, when it was pink, I had people say stuff. I had a man sitting across the train from me last week basically telling me how I was going to hell. Um, so that was fun. But, yeah, we like to think of, of New York because it is a metropolis, being, you know, that it's New York. People don't pay attention to you when you walk out the door, but we know that that's not the case. And especially for our trans community of color, they're the largest targets of hate crimes, generally, um, especially within the LGBTQ plus community. So being cognizant and being aware of that, and, and when we see acts of violence happen or when we see somebody acting a fool, as it were, and saying something because somebody's wearing a floral shirt or because they have makeup on or because they've walked out with a rainbow on, that to disarm it, it's almost like the Gillette ad where you see, you know, one guy catcalling a woman walking down the street and the other guy's like, dude, that's not cool. Like, it's, it's a matter of enacting that behavior, but coming back to the very beginning of always being safe. But I ask you to really judge when, when the environment is safe and when it's not. Because more often than not, we would like to yield to fear. Um, but I also like to think of what courage is. And courage is being afraid, but stepping up and doing something about it. Um, so with all of that in mind, I feel like this is a great opportunity to open the questions to our audience, which I think that we received some in. Yes, Nick, we received a few questions up here. And if there are more questions, feel free to bring them up. Yes. Um, I can rattle one off if you'd like. Dish. Sure. Let's go. So, Spill the tea. Um, what do each of you feel individually will be the ultimate tipping point to um, sort of affect greater legislation change on stopping hate-related activity? <laughs> so <laughs> one of two states that recently passed a law requiring LGBTQ history be taught is New Jersey, where I'm from. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a step in the right direction. It's educating people is what is going to change the world and help increase empathy for different identities than your own. I think that kind of piggybacking off of that a bit, I think you know it's, it can be like sexy and exciting to say, I want to change the world, and it's not maybe as exciting to say I'm going to have an awkward Thanksgiving dinner with my racist family member, but that's <laughs> the work. Like, that's what needs to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think it's about, you know, looking at the ways we can reach the people around us and really challenge their beliefs and hopefully make a difference there. Yeah, and just to piggyback off of that, 
Change in anything is uncomfortable. In order to change, you must suffer discomfort. That's it, period. And so, like, if it's having that uncomfortable conversation with your family members about whatever prejudice they may hold, it's when you begin to break into that discomfort and find your courage, your strength of, of supporting and being more inclusive and expanding the way that people think, um, or at least monitoring the, the language that they use, it gives you the strength and the impetus to then continue to have that conversation the next time it happens. So family can be a great starting point for having these difficult conversations and then bringing it to your friend circle and then feeling more empowered to have bolder conversations with people that you may not know. Anyway, sorry, David. No, I agree. Um, having those conversations with family and friends, which can be um, sometimes more difficult than talking to a total stranger. Most likely it is, particularly if, uh, if, if, if it could jeopardize that friendship or even your relationship with your individual family member. Um, from what I have seen and everything that I've read, big movements, great moments of change, at the end of the day, comes down to voting. Comes down to? Voting. Voting. Voting, voting, voting. Not becoming desensitized, not becoming... Um, Apathetic, uh, just to mention the importance of education, all, all that is, is, is incredibly important. Having those individual conversations, telling your story, um, speaking to, to truth to power, all those things are really important. Um, but it's leadership. It's individual leadership of getting to the bo- voting booth and putting uh, those leaders in office to represent you to have that type of change. Hmm. Um, that's ultimately what it comes down to. We do have a democracy, for better or for worse, and sometimes it is it, it can be a little flawed, but at the end of the day, this is what we have, and we have to, the only way to really have that type of monumental change is 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 through voting. And um, I'm gonna if you don't if if you bear with me, I'm gonna quote again Martin Luther King, um, in which he's exactly. It may be true that morality cannot be legislated, but behavior can be regulated. Hmm. So whether it's the Equality Act, whether it's gun safety, all those types of things, I might not be able to change the hearts of those hardened uh, individuals that traffic and hate. But if we make it a crime, if there are consequences for their actions, which right now there isn't for some of the for some of the things that you particularly what you described mm-hmm. at the stats at the beginning, it's going to be very difficult to have that type of change that we want. And so that's why it's so important to vote. Yeah, absolutely. And if I can take the spiritual Oprah approach, Oprah says that a shift is when everybody's kind of on the same wavelength, where it's been talking about building, building, where people are jumping onto the same movement. And it's she talks about this with Gwyneth Paltrow, about the Me Too movement, where it's people finally coming to a point of intolerance for something, that it is so massive that there can't but be a cultural phenomenon. So it's, it's the bubbling under the surface that then comes to yeah, a full boil. One, one thing to add on that, it's, it's also um, accountability. Oh, yes. At the end of the day, um, it's, it's holding those that do these harmful things accountable, um, but it's also holding ourselves accountable. Yeah. Age of receipts, baby. Okay. <laughs> I, I think doing so in, in person, I think, is important. We talked earlier um, about face-to-face interaction. Um, 
I mean, it was mentioned by David, like, dehumanizing, and I think that maybe rehumanizing people um, is great. Something that I'm proud of uh, that RxR is doing a lot of work in is community building, which is a big component of our social impact month. And um, I think that with today's world being so digital, people are longing for that human connection. Mm -hmm. All of us up here have talked about storytelling and how important it is to tell your story, to hear other people's stories. Um, I'm really interested in, in knowing more about the documentary you mentioned about the Muslim woman um, and uh, the, the tweets that she, she went after and the fact that she did that in person, I think was super courageous and awesome. Um, so I find for me, you know, face-to-face -face, um, interaction can sort of decrease or almost in some cases eliminate aggression or hate, which is like the theme of our podcast tonight. Um, so the result for me with, you know, shared experiences and getting to know someone on a deeper level um, would be higher rates of acceptance, higher rates of inclusion, you know, continuing that education in many different forms and facets and creating allies out of those who maybe didn't think they could be allies to begin with. Yes. And now that I've had the opportunity to do my Google search, it is Dia Khan and the documentary is White Right, Meeting the Enemy and, oh, there's another one, Jihad, A Story of Others, of the Others. So definitely check those out, both on Netflix. Little plug for you guys. Um, Our live studio amazing. audience, take note. Yes. So we've, we've had a great book. What was the book again, Joanna? Uh, Listen, We Need to Talk. Thank you. And um, it's Dia Khan's White Right, Meeting the Enemy. Okay, question number two. Yes. So... Um, what is your favorite story of positive change taking effect? Ooh. Not it. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Lift it up a little. <laughs> I'm not sure who said this. I've been reading a lot of news lately. But um, in an interview, someone answered that when the time is right, for a movement, it happens, and the time for trans rights is now. Hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm just very excited about the progression of that. Absolutely. Lex, that's like really empowering. You're gonna like get me to cry. Um, that's awesome. Anyone else? Repeat the question again. What is your favorite story of positive change taking effect? I can jump in. I mean, I, I, I talked a little bit about Reggie Bullock um, and him speaking out about trans rights. Um, and, you know, the reason he does that is because Reggie's sister, who was murdered, is trans. Um, and that having that, you know, having the relationship that he did with her inspired him to speak out and to really be dedicating his platform to advocating for trans people and speaking out in a way that's, like I said, is really impactful. Um, but also to say, you know, I think something that's incredibly moving to me is not just Reggie, but all of the athletes that we work with and seeing the impact that we make, that they, that they make. Um, one of our ambassadors that we recently added is a, a trans race driver named Charlie Martin. And I think that by being out and visible and outspoken, she changes people's lives. I mean, I think she shows 
young LGBTQ youth that they don't have to choose between being who they are and being and living their dreams, and I think that's really powerful. Mm. Yeah, I think too, like speaking about how like media and celebrities can be very influential. Two things that stand out to me are Pose, which is a TV show about trans women of color in the ballroom scene from the '80s. And Queer Eye, what Queer Eye is doing for the movement, like the cultural movement and bringing that conversation into the household and getting people excited to talk about it and, you know, seeing stories of different representation. The idea of combining the digital with the physical is something else that's been brought up on this podcast a bit tonight. And I find that really moving. Um, A podcast is digital and here we are doing a live version of that. Um, And I think that combining these two worlds is just furthering dialogue. Um, I think that um, what Joanna was talking about with, you know, athletes taking to social media to make real positive effects and changes in communities that sometimes feel voiceless um, is what we should be doing with our digital um, and sort of merging that with, you know, as I mentioned earlier, in my opinion, people are longing for that, that human connection. So instead of hiding behind, you know, your, your social media, saying something and then, you know, not just talking the talk, but also walking the walk. Absolutely. So one of the, if, if, uh, I've thought about it now because I've, I've been thinking of tons of different social movements um, in my head that I've read about. Um, but this is a little bit more personal for me. It's, it's the idea that my son is graduating in a world where you've had the first African-American president. There is more uh, female representation in Congress than ever before. There's uh, more gay and lesbian representation in Congress than ever before. There are gains that are made in terms of representation from everything that he sees on TV and his movies to the music that he listens to. Those things are really significant from the standpoint that as he grows up um, and the people that fought for so many of those things that came before him, he is getting the benefits of it. And to me, that's, it's, it's, it, it feels good. And by no means does that mean that work is complete, as we all know. But he is growing up in a world that is very different than a lot of people in this room grew up in. And I, I like to even harking back to Lex, your point of you know those that that set the precedent that that paved the way. More often than not, we don't see the change at our level. Mm-hmm. What we do is it it cultivates in the generation that comes after. Absolutely. And so, just through having conversations with people, um, you know, I'll hear someone say like, "Oh, well, I was the first to do that, and now these kids are you know just going out and doing whatever, and it's all wonderful and whatever." Like you know, uh, changing what we perceive as gender and like in the way that you dress and seeing like now that kids are much more expressive. This is a friend of mine that was saying it. And I said, isn't that great? Isn't it great that you can say that you started paving the way and now you're, you're, you're opening up this space for kids to do that without people having to question. Absolutely. So it's like what we do now sets the precedent. It's for posterity's sake as mm-hmm. it were. Absolutely. Another question. Yes. Have you had to confront hate? How did you do it? <laughs> Have you had to confront hate? How did you do it? Hmm. 
<laughs> is it weird to say, like, that's just, like, not cool? I mean, I was on the subway, this was a few weeks ago, and um, there was this guy who was, like, just being so rude to this woman, and I have no idea why. Um, I don't even know if they, they knew each other. And for some reason, I mean, put all the fear aside that we were talking about earlier and, like, the repercussions. I don't even know if this guy would have just, like, punched me in the face. Who knows? I literally just looked at him and I said, what you're doing is not cool. And the person behind me said, I agree. <laughs> and I was like, this is a great New York moment. <laughs> yeah, it takes one to stand up. I, I, I do think that's, that's great. Um, and I'm glad that you could do that in New York. There are certain places in the can't. country that, I know. that you can't. Um, hate can be infectious. Um, hate can be something that it, it's infectious and it can be contagious. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to go into this. My son's mother was killed three years ago in, uh, in uh, <clears throat> a terrorist attack. And early on after that attack, um, I saw in my son that hate begin to, to grow. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where we, we completely showered him and surrounded him in nothing but love. But that's what it takes. It's more than saying that's not cool. It's more than, than just standing up. Um, it's, it's, it's all the stuff that we are doing right now in terms of being an ally, letting people be able to express themselves, but that is based on love. Mm. And at the end of the day, that's ultimately what it has to come down to, this selfless, reaching out, human connection to try and make sure that um, people don't fall into that. And at the end of the day, we all have a shared humanity, and we're all humans, and that connection is real. And so that is, at the end of the day, I think that's one of the hardest things that I've done, but it will continue to try and do. Mm. One, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, but to quote our man of the evening and to echo your, sentiment, your sentiments, David, uh, from Martin Luther King Jr., darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. That's right. So, Joanna, Lex, any personal moments or perhaps maybe someone in your surrounding networks? So I immediately try to think of a, an instance in the physical world, but the most prominent example of me facing fate, uh, hate... <laughs> Um, was in the digital space. So I recently launched my brand. Um, I've had wonderful support from my community. I have friends who modeled for the clothing. And in using those images to promote the brand, I've had to deal with death threats on comments on Instagram, mm -hmm. not towards myself, but towards my friends. And that is brand new territory for me. I've never had hate on my digital spaces before. And I know that 
it's not the best policy to immediately remove those comments because the community needs to see that, the community needs to tackle that, but I felt a personal responsibility because I put my friends in this situation to be exposed to this, to have their identities out in public and attacked. Um, so that was a very heavy um, weight and decision for me to make on how to manage those comments. May I ask, like, how you? I consulted some other friends um, who work in social media, and they advised me to leave the comments there and let the community manage that. But I made a personal choice that when it came to the level of a death threat, it's report and block that person. Mm -hmm. I, again, I feel responsible for putting my friends in the situation and I want to shield them. Mm -hmm. Not that they are not capable of handling the situation on their own, but they wouldn't have been in this predicament if it weren't for me and what I'm doing. Um, so if, it, if it's to that extent, yes, you're gonna get blocked and reported to Instagram and Facebook because it, it it's a matter of life and death, and I'm not going to put someone's life on the line. Yeah. First of all, I would like to give you permission to release that responsibility because that's not you. I hope you know that. Like you promoting inclusivity, you can't take the responsibility and the burden for somebody else's hate speech. Mm -hmm. That's not on you. So release yourself from that. <laughs> yes. Um, do we have any other questions? Or Joanna, did you want to answer that one? Um, yeah, I mean, just to say, I think one way that I've confronted hate is by confronting myself. I mean, I think, mm. I think we can all, or I hope we can all agree we live in a racist country. Um, and I think we all are affected by that one way or another. Um, and so I think it's important for those of us who are white, you know, to acknowledge that we are brought up with racist beliefs, whether we like it or not, we have those beliefs in us and it's our responsibility to be proactive about addressing them and rooting them out. Um, and then also to say um, ways I've addressed it, you know, in a, in a more, in a way that's more connected to the work that I do. I mean, I can say that since I personally, ha you know, know that for myself as a cisgender woman, I feel like, you know, having access to running has changed my life. It's been such an amazing therapeutic outlet for me in terms of depression and anxiety and giving me community. And so when I see and hear people making really hateful comments saying that trans people shouldn't have access to sport, that's what I keep going back to. The fact that sports saved my life, you know, and I think to deny anyone access to something that can save their life is a violation of their human rights. And so that's what I keep going back to. Yeah, thank you. Joanna, I would love to, as another runner, go running with you one sometime. <laughs> I, I think let's, let's, let's Run get together. Um, so I've been thinking about standing up to hate and something that um, sort of came to me uh, three years ago, my, myself and um, some really close friends of mine started an LGBTQ plus affinity chapter for our um, alumni um, um, from Fordham University. I'm a very proud um, 
of um, of Fordham. I have two degrees from Fordham, and um, being the president of their alumni association, I started another affinity chapter for um, LGBTQ. And being a Jesuit Catholic university, um, as you can imagine, that was you know going to take some some time and getting through a lot of red tape, but Fordham was actually extremely, extremely supportive, and they sponsored us to march in the Pride Parade, and we, you know, it was all very positive. Um, and we um, ended up getting um, a, quite a few comments um, on our, our Facebook group, um, going back to, you know, the digital space as Lex was talking about, but um, I just have to say, tying it together with David, love wins, because we got these really negative, nasty comments from um, these guys who were studying to be priests in Australia, um, telling us that what we were doing was um, sinful, and that we should uh, go to hell, and that we're awful people, and that we don't deserve to live or be here, um, and that they can't even imagine that a Catholic institution would support something like this. Um, and instead of, you know, you know, closing up the group or saying, like, this can't actually happen, um, we decided to reach out to our community, um, publicly state that, like, this was happening, because um, they were, like, giving us these not only, like, ne hateful comments, but, like, these negative reviews, which was making like, our group seem like it was a horrible group, um, and we just asked our community to shower us with love um, and to um, post... Um, and share stories um, about people and friends that were part of this community, part of LGBTQ, part of Fordham University, et cetera, um, that were very positive and um, how they were able to, um, you know, make a difference in their lives, um, you know, help other people accept, become allies, break down barriers, et cetera. Um, so from these hateful comments um, from these men who are studying to come, become priests in Australia, we received over 250 very positive comments. Some of them were stories, paragraphs long, about how um, men and women, gay, lesbian, black, white, who are related to our group, um, have had a positive effect on their lives. Um, and then... I think that was a way that we combated um, our hate and um, with love. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's great. Um, I guess to answer that question and to close this beautiful evening out, what has been my response? Creating typed out. Uh, and it's to have these conversations, to sit down with people mm -hmm. like yourselves, to get inside somebody else's shoes and understand what it is like to be them, to understand where they come from, to see how we can better understand one another so that we can begin to create a global community because we are more connected than we ever have been before. Um, and it's speaking to the fact that we're not all one, we're not a monolith, you know, no matter what community it is. And finding the disparities in there and seeing where you can find the connective tissue and make people understand and reach out and um, hopefully employ that in their voting and, you know, the conversations that they have with their family. And uh, so hopefully Typed Out is, is doing its thing in that regard. And um, I want to say thank you to all of you for sharing your stories and your experience. And thank you for doing the work that you do. So uh, kudos and snaps to that. But... 
Okay, which is rounding us off to the end of our hour. So thank you for your questions. Greatly appreciated. Uh, and just rolling through the from my right to the left, if we can get social. So where can we find folks, um, if, if it, either if it's like RxR or whatever, uh, but where can we follow you, your work, and or reach out with more questions? You can follow me at RxR Realty. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, David. <laughs> um, we have alt pronouns on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and you can find me at Lex Evan on all of the above. Great. Thank you. We'll be giving you a follow. You can find Athlete Ally at Athlete Ally on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and you can follow me at Joanna underscore Hoffman. Great. Thank you, Joanna. Also following? So RxR is at RxR underscore Realty on um, all major social media platforms. And um, personally, um, my Instagram is JPEGs by Justin, and my Twitter is Jots by Justin. Um, but um, I definitely um, would suggest everyone who's listening to this podcast to, um, you know, learn more about Typed Out, Alt Pronouns, Athlete Ally, and RxR. Yes, absolutely. And if you would like to follow us, you can jump on over to our website, which is typedout.co. No M's because M's are ill. Uh, and it's also our Instagram handle, so typedout.co, which is the window into all of the stuff that we do. So you'll find more conversations. And with every conversation at Typed Out, this is just the surface because we could dive deep, deep, deep. But we'll just have to come back to do more of that. Um, so, and also... A huge thank you to RxR and to WeWork for making this evening possible, but no more than the folks here live with us at the Helmsley Building and for everyone listening along. Thank you so much for joining us for the live Typed Out Podcast.